Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week and another tough loss to pick through here tonight as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 80, a milestone episode here. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films as we break down a really tough loss for the Eagles against the New York Giants this past week. We'll talk about Carson Wentz. The run game, the fourth down calls, the defense, everything from the loss. Before we get to the Atlanta Falcons and their talented offense and the challenges that they present the Eagles this Sunday. Next up, we've got Scouting Report where I want to talk to you guys about a player that's been really productive, but I think I'll be interested to see how he's been used by the Falcons this year. I'll explain who that is in that segment. We have got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. Greg and I talk Eagles-Giants before we get into everything you need to know about Sunday's matchup against the Falcons. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Join me once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer and Eagles Game Plan Analyst, Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, we, are, we decided to shoot this a little, a little bit earlier this week. It's Monday night here at the NovaCare Complex. Obviously, with the, the big election on Tuesday, we figured we'd give fans another night to ingest our, our analysis <laughs> as we continue to make things up here uh, from the bowels of the NovaCare Complex. But appreciate the time always here for Chalk Talk. Appreciate it, Fran. And, yeah. uh, we'll it's a, a tough game, obviously, to go through. Our fourth one here in five weeks. Right. What, what were your initial takeaways when you went back and you watched the tape against New York? Well, let me start with the offense because, you know, it's easy, I think, given that this team started 3-0 and and is now 4-4, four and four, to start thinking the worst. I actually thought after I watched the tape, and I know you watch it carefully as I do, I actually thought there was a lot to build on offensively in this game. Certainly was. And we'll get through some of the, the ups and downs of Carson Wentz and the offense as a whole, but I think when you look at the way this game played out, and obviously you don't want to start the game in a 14 nothing hole, but I think it gave them an opportunity and in some ways probably forced Doug Peterson and staff to be a little more aggressive in the pass game. And I think you saw some things in terms of personnel packages, formations, that I thought really bode well for the future. And while Carson Wentz was clearly up and down, I thought he showed a lot of backbone in coming back in this game. Um, I, the first two interceptions, I thought, were, were both on him, to be honest with you. I thought the first one, he left the pocket too early. Definitely. He had the, the short dig to Ertz, and he looked there and then immediately broke down. I mean, that was a throw that you have to make. That was not pressure by NFL standards. I even thought on the second one, he moved a little prematurely because he had Ertz one-on-one uh, -on -one versus Landon Collins, and Ertz won on that route. And I thought he moved when he didn't have to and then forced himself to have to hurry a little bit when he didn't need to. And I thought he started the game a little impatient. And then I thought he settled down. And I thought you saw some of the route concepts that you and I had spent off-season talking about that we saw a bit earlier in the season. We saw the three-level stretch concept. 
we saw the play to Bryce Treggs, which was a clear shot play out of 6-0 line, two tight end personnel with Treggs, the only wide receiver on the field, a clear shot play concept. And I just thought that these are all positives now going forward. And I'll tell you what really stood out, the play of the offensive line, particularly in pass protection. I thought that was a real positive. Interesting. I wasn't expecting to hear you say that. Uh, what was it that, that, that really stood out to you? Well, other than pro? Blitz, and, and that's a different animal, and in fact, Steve Spagnola ended up with nine zero Blitzes in the game out of 15. Uh, but other than that, and yes, you have to deal with those as well, but that falls on a lot of different people. I thought the O-line did a really good job in pass protection. The Giants did not really generate pressure at all with their four-man rush. Yeah, that, that was certainly the case, and you mentioned the, the zero blitzes. I, di- I didn't chart them, but nine sounds about right. Well, they, had four, on the final, yeah. they had four in a row at the end. Exactly. And, and see, there's another example where Wentz needs experience because on the first two, he had a place to go with the ball. Yeah. And the ball had to be through. They had plenty. Time was not an issue. Right. He had to make a throw, even if it's a six-yard gain, because you get a positive play. And if you get a positive play, you may discourage Spagnola from calling another zero blitz. But when he sees what the result is, he just keeps calling them. Right, exactly. The the very first one I remember there was the one he just threw it out of bounds. Right. Uh, it was the he had the he the had Matthews breakers. and Ertz yep. both available. No doubt. I, on the second one, he had Ertz available, and and uh, you know again he didn't make those throws. That's experience. So let's let's talk about Wentz. And you mentioned the uh, you know the early struggles early on. And then you see him kind of bounce back. You see the uh, the ability to make some of those drive throws. I thought the the throw that he made late in the game on the fourth and nine uh, over the two underneath defenders and cover two on the three level stretch yeah, was, was, was a really good stretch was, concept. Was a good looking throw over zone defenders. Yep. Uh, made a couple other drive throws on some of those outbreaking routes as yep. well on similar type concepts. I think that a lot of people you you know obviously look the you had the the. The fourth down, you know, you had the miss down in the end zone to end the game. You had the two picks early. A lot of people say, oh, he was awful in the game. And he rushed the fourth down throw at the end. He had a little more time than he thought, and he rushed it so he didn't bring his body through the throw, and therefore the throw was a little wide. Uh, that's a throw that has to be made, quite honestly. We're not going to sugarcoat it. You have to make that throw in the NFL. Yeah, and really the big thing, what's the big coaching point there? I know one of the things that – uh, Doug Peterson had mentioned was he just wants to see you know you want to let your guy go make the play it's first right, down right put put your put right. the ball in a position for your receiver to go up and make the, uh, a catch on the football yeah I'll tell you what I really liked um, I liked after the second interception that they came out and I believe it was 12 personnel and they had the boot action and he hit Burton on a really well designed yeah. play you know I, the point is he's your quarterback you just have to keep playing the games and and I, that's why I feel this game in an odd way, is a positive. Now, I don't know what's going to happen against Atlanta. Atlanta's a good team. But I think you just have to let your, your quarterback play the games. And you've got to allow him to drop back and make throws. And I really believe the offensive line's performance, particularly in pass protection, will be seen by the staff as a positive. A lot of people have brought this question up in terms of lower body mechanics. And you've been watching the quarterback yep. position uh, for a long, long time. You've seen a lot of the great quarterbacks in this league, and you've seen a lot of good prospects that have fizzled out uh, later in their careers. When you see a guy that's having issues with some of his lower body mechanics, is that something that can kind of be worked yeah, through? but it has to be worked on constantly. There's two issues with wins. Issues is too strong. Two things that you have to continually work on. It may be that way his whole career. Number one, he tends to be an overstrider. And when you overstride, you tend to be wild high, which we've seen. And number two, he tends to be a little too erect, a little too straight up. 
And when that happens as well, there's no bounce to you, and you don't necessarily get the, the, the torque, the weight transfer that you ultimately need to throw to drive the ball. And I think that that's, those two things will constantly have to be worked on with Carson Wentz. And the other thing, too, that's always interesting, I think you and I have talked about this in the spring. It, it may have been you and I talking about the quarterback mechanics. Yep. Obviously, are important, no question. But there are plenty of examples of quarterbacks that have played at a high level in the NFL where the mechanics are not always great. <laughs> they always no, and, find and, a way to get it done. Sometimes the mechanics, depending on the defense, can't always be great. Right. And you have to be able to make throws sure, without great mechanics. Uh, and that's just the nature of the NFL. Uh, you know, I think a number of years ago, we went through two or three weeks. This goes back, oh, it might be eight or nine years. But I remember we went through a number of weeks where we charted maybe five games a week just to figure out how many times the quarterback sort of dropped back within rhythm, made a throw where there was really not pressure. And it's uh, maybe 50%, I think it was. And I'm going back a long way at most. You know, m more often than not, you have to make a throw where there's relatively bodies around you. Right. And you do have to keep your mechanics as much as you possibly can. That's what makes the great quarterbacks great. I mean, when you watch the Tom Brady's of the world, and again, we're not comparing Carson Wentz to Tom Brady. We're just talking about quarterback play. When you watch the great quarterbacks, they really stick to their mechanics until they absolutely don't have to. So when you, when you see a quarterback that may have issues uh, with accuracy uh, at certain points in a game, because we've seen Carson Wentz make that throw on fourth and ten. It was the, the, the first touchdown of his career, the same Correct. exact it throw was a slot to Jordan fade. Matthews. Right. Yeah. So we've seen him make the throw. We've seen him make the throw even earlier in the game. He hit Jordan Matthews on a slot fade for 30-plus yards earlier in the Correct. game on the Correct. right sideline. Correct, down line. the right sideline. Uh, yep. When you see a guy that's, that you know the, the mechanics are not there, how does that impact both accuracy and uh, velocity on his throws? Well, it almost always, almost always impacts accuracy. Uh, and again, that was a throw where he rushed himself and he didn't need to, so he ended up not sh transferring his weight, and he threw the ball almost sitting on his back foot, fa not falling back, but not coming through the throw. And, and therefore, he, he threw it too far outside. It didn't have the pinpoint precise ball placement that you needed on that throw. Um, other times, as we've said, he, he can overstride, and that leads to wild high throws. And we've seen him do that. No question. So, Greg, let's, let's get on to uh, the fourth down calls. because, And I, I, I don't want to necessarily get into the discussion about whether or not you go for it because that opens up a, a much larger discussion that we can have later down the road. Let's just talk about the two plays and, right. and what you saw from the two plays. First, let's talk about the, the quarterback run, the, yeah. the, the Wentz run to the left on fourth and two and a half. Well, there's a couple of elements there. I mean, the Giants – did a very good job, and whether they felt they knew what the play would be or whether it just happened to be one of those things, they slanted to the side of the play. Now, Jordan Matthews, was he was responsible for a down block or a crack block on the defensive end, Jason Pierre-Paul, the kind of block you see in run games in the NFL every week, every week 50 times a week. So he wasn't being asked to do anything that you don't see 50 times a week when you watch coaching tape. He missed his block. So what did that mean? That meant that Jason Peters had to pick up Pierre Paul, who he shouldn't have had to block, because Peters was really responsible for the first next-level defender that showed, and that would have been the corner Jenkins. 
But the reason the slant was an issue and, and they got caught is because Keenan Robinson, right before the snap, jumped into the line of scrimmage and made Kelsey's seal block almost impossible to make. So it was, it was really a good defensive play. The play might have had a chance if, if Matthews did not, make it, did not miss his block, but Keenan Robinson might have been there unblocked. I think he had the best game I've ever seen in his career. Keenan, Keenan Robinson? Robinson. By the way, He's played really well this year for the yeah. Giants. He, he was a fifth-round pick, I yeah, think, for the Washington Redskins out of Texas yeah. a few years ago. Could always move. Could always run. No doubt. And he's yeah. got those big, long arms. Yeah. So he always stands out. Made plays in coverage against the run. Uh, let's get to the second one. Uh, basic zone play. You know, basic, basic zone, zone Basic zone right uh, on fourth and one, and they, they can't pick up positive yardage. What did you see from You know, play? it's funny. I watched that play about six, seven times, and each time I watched it, I kind of felt that God, they should have gotten that play. Yeah. There seemed like there was enough room to get two yards. No doubt. And I don't, you know, again, obviously it didn't happen. It closed down quickly. But it seemed as I kept watching it over and over that, God, they were, I thought there were two yards to get there. Yeah, it's, the, it's, you, it's your basic zone lead. They had yep. Isaac Sayamalo, the rookie offensive yep. lineman, uh, in as the lead fullback. You had two double teams, one on the yep. front side, one on the back side. And neither is able to get up to the linebacker right, spot. And right. really, that, you know, the, the front side linebacker is able to come up and force Darren Sproles to cut back. And then the backside side linebacker, linebacker is there to fill kind in. Kind of slashed in, the in there and made the play. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, we know that the run game, whatever the run is, normally when it doesn't work, it's a function of execution more than anything else. Although on the first one, like I said, I think the Giants, they just had the right defensive call. Last player I'll ask you about on offense before we move on to the defensive side. Uh, Bryce Treggs. Everyone wants yeah. to know about Bryce Treggs. Um, talk about the, the transition that a wide receiver needs to make. Because I, I was thinking about this today because everyone's talking about it. And he, he arrives on September 4th right? Uh, as a rookie undrafted free agent receiver who, who can run. We know that. Played in the air raid offense. Gets hurt. Gets hurt yeah. when he first gets here, so that kind of hinders the development too. Played in the air raid at Cal. Goes to San Francisco, plays in Chip Kelly's offense during the sun, during the offseason, preseason, and then gets gets here. What kind of transition are you asking that player <laughs> to make in the course of a four-week period, five-week, six-week, and it ended up being eight weeks uh, over that period of time? I'm not sure people can understand how his brain is spinning with, with what he's now being asked to do in what is essentially a pro offense. And, and that's why you're seeing him just run a few routes. Yeah. Because he's not ready yet to really run – the a larger number of routes. You saw him on the deep 58-yarder. He ran basically a deep post. You saw them try to hit him later in the game on another vertical route. I mean, basically, that's what he's going to be asked to do. He can probably run three routes now. Yeah, I think I think he caught two of four targets. Right. Yeah, he caught the fir- his first catch was right. the, the comeback right. on that same drive, that third drive of the game. Uh, really, the the thing though that people say, well, well, how come you don't just make him active and he can run deep? Well, guess what? If you bring him, if you make him active. And then Nelson Aguilar gets hurt, or if, uh, if Doriel Green Beckham right. gets hurt in a game, you need that receiver to step in and be able to play significant snaps. And if he doesn't know the offense, you're, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, and, and like we said, because he played in the air raid, which is very limited in terms of what receivers are asked to do, and, and now he's in an NFL offense, I guarantee he only knows within the context of the offense a couple of routes and – the other thing that comes into play is now you get into splits for receivers. He probably knows how to run a couple of routes just from being split in a certain spot. He's not going to know how to run routes if he's the number two in trips or if he's inside slot or if he's got a different split. He's not going to know that. He's going to know how to run three routes if he's in one specific spot. That's right. That's right. And remember, playing in that Cal offense, often, and I, I didn't study him, but often out of that offense – 
They ask their receivers to line up on one side of the field and, and one that's side it. of the field only. Yes. So he's used to running routes from one spot Correct. throughout his college career. Correct. So uh, definitely a learning curve there for Bryce Treggs as he continues to make the transition now to this Eagles offense. Let's transition out of the Eagles, D, Greg. Uh, your initial takeaways, they did, only one drive, I believe, yeah. if, my, if my memory selects or is, uh, is correct here, only one drive where they allowed more than six plays. I mean, they they did. Yeah. They, they were kind of put in a tough spot early, obviously. But overall, your your takeaways. I from thought for the day. most part they settled in. Look, the game started with the two interceptions in the short field. Um, I thought the first touchdown in Beckham was just a really good play call. Uh, the second touchdown, and you and I talked about it. I, I'm still not exactly sure. Yeah. What happened in the secondary? What specifically the coverage was? Um, Obviously, we know that McKelvin and Watkins ran into each other. Um, I'm still not sure what they were specifically playing. You know, even on the on the Shepard touchdown, that seemed to be a little bit of of confusion. I, you know, I wasn't. It, it it looked like it might have been quarter quarter half, and it might have been halves to that side of the field. I don't know what you. Th- what it looked you saw. like to me. It looked to me like quarter quarter half, and, and it was a gr- which is a great play call against right, quarter quarter right, half. Right, you had, because uh, Beckham was outside of Shepard, yep. and Beckham ran a vertical route. Took the safety away. Right, right. It was a, it was a perfect play. I'm actually yep. going to do it in my uh, yeah. Took the safety away. And then, you know, because you could tell that Malcolm Jenkins, who got obviously called for defensive holding on Shepard, but he was, he was not running with him. He was passing him on, thinking he was passing him on to somebody. Yeah, it, it was a, a perfect play call yeah. against that coverage. Yeah. Uh, and then you had, the, 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 obviously, the Odell Beckham jump Which ball. Which was, I, I think it was a run-pass option because the O-line blocked run. Yep. And he saw that he had one-on-one with, with McKelvin, who had a very difficult game and ended up not playing very much in the second half. They put Mills out there uh, at left corner. But, uh, but, you know, in the first half, McKelvin got worked over pretty good. D-line uh, against the run. I thought the D-line held yeah. up very, very well. Giants Fletcher are not a good, good running team. Sure. So, again, they still have to do their job. Yep. You know, the Giants are a, about a 95% 11 personnel team, meaning they have one back, one tight end, and three wide receivers. They're a high, high-percentage shotgun running team. There's no real physical dimension to their run game. They run a ton of shotgun power, but they don't run it real well. Bunch of uh, one of the things that has stood out to me is that Jordan Hicks has kind of strung along a couple really strong yep. games in a row. What have been your takeaways? Now he just finished his 16th game, so we can say yeah. a full NFL season now uh, for the second-year player out of Texas. Your general thoughts of where Jordan Hicks is at this point in his career? I would say he's going to be a very solid NFL middle linebacker. I'm, I don't think he's quite going to reach the level of being a star, but I think in the middle of your defense he'll be really solid. I think he's he's pretty aware. I think he's pretty instinctive. He's a good athlete, not a great athlete. Um, you know, he's not going to become Luke Keekley. He's not at the level of athlete of an Alec Ogletree, let's say, with the sure. Rams. He's not that level of athlete, but I think he's a good player. One of the things that stood out to me as well in this game was the aggressiveness of the safeties. You oh, look at I thought Watkins – I'm glad you made – I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, but but right. that's something we talked about watching the game together Sunday, and then the tape showed it as well. I thought Watkins, as an add-in defender in the run game and as Oof. a filling, you know, filling in the run game as a safety, 
I thought he showed up. Yeah, and even even on the the slant routes, the yep, in-breaking yep. routes. I mean, there were a couple. Look, he got called for one helmet to helmet. He may have been able to right. called for another. But I'm just talking about just in his in his instincts, his ability to key and yes. diagnose what was happening, and then come downhill and yep. meet the receiver at the catch point. Uh, did a great job numerous times uh, in the passing game as well. Rodney McLeod showed up a number of times. He had that one tackle in the flat yeah. uh, in the fourth quarter, but also had a couple breakups. We saw the one that he knocked out of Roger Lewis's hand, uh, the one where he almost forced the fumble on that one third down play. Uh, Rodney McLeod was all over, and they're yeah. asking Malcolm to now play a ton in the play slot, the but slot. also deep. Yeah. Um, there were, there were a, lot, a lot of plays where all three of those guys really stood out. No, I agree. Uh, and, and Watkins was the guy because we didn't know what to expect. Right, yep. And I thought he showed up. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, let's now move to the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. We'll, we'll start with Atlanta's offense because now that we've talked about the Eagles' D, this is going to be a really big test, obviously. I mean, I don't know that any team in the NFL has faced the gauntlet of receivers that the Eagles' secondary is going to face this year because you think about all, you know, yeah. Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, you got Dez, you have Odell Beckham, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the top playmakers in both the AFC and the NFC on the Eagles' schedule. But Julio – it's kind of a different animal because of his size and his movement. It's 6'3", 220, 4'4", uh, speed, just kind of a freak of nature. Well, I think it really starts with what they do offensively from a personnel standpoint. And this is what makes, to me, the NFL so much fun when I watch tape, is the Eagles are coming off playing the Giants, a team that plays about 95% with one back and one tight end and three wide receivers. Okay, I think Michael Kendricks played two snaps this week. Yeah, right. Uh, something like that, okay, because he doesn't play in the nickel. This week, they're going to play an offense that probably about 50% of their snaps has some form of base personnel, whether it's 21, meaning a fullback. Pat DeMarco plays about 30% of the snaps. So whether it's that or whether it's 12, meaning two tight ends, whether it's 13 with three tight ends. Um, and I don't know what Jacob Tammy's, uh, you know, but they've now yeah, played right. this Joshua Perkins as a tight end, who's a, actually moves pretty well. But, but the point is, they're going from playing – where they played nickel on almost every snap to now an offense where they're going to play at a base on maybe half the snaps. And that just shows you the difference from week to week in the NFL. Yeah, no question. You look at uh, their numbers, and it's one of the things I'm continuing to pull numbers on. Obviously, it's only Monday, so I still have tomorrow to kind of go through this. But one of the numbers I saw today, when they have zero or one receiver on the field, Atlanta's offense and Matt Ryan, he's 19 of 26, (laughs) 73% passing, 264 yards, one touchdown, 15 first downs on 26 attempts, 143.8 quarterback rating when there's zero or one wide receiver on the field. It's pretty crazy what no. they're able to do with all those different personnel groupings and how they choose to attack defense. And, and now because of Austin Hooper, who is probably a little more athletic than Jacob Tammy, they're starting to expand how they use the tight end because Hooper can line up split from the formation. And so they're starting to do – you know, a lot of that backside stuff where he's X, meaning he's the single receiver to that side. Now, sometimes he can be in that position where he's split. Sometimes he can be in that position where he's the line of scrimmage, tight end, and the formation is closed. You and I you kind know. of felt similarly about him in college. Have he, has he been better than you thought he'd be, or are they using him perfectly? A, I think he's a little better than I thought he'd be. Yeah. Uh, I, I think his athleticism is a little better than I thought. And so, you know, again, I thought he was a good prospect. I I wasn't sure he'd be able to do some of the things that they're asking him to That's do. That's what I thought, too. And he's done. Yeah. No, no, no question about it. And it's really interesting kind of watching it from that respect. Uh, but get, anyway, getting to Julio. Yes, I think you've got to get to Julio. When you get to Julio, the, the, the challenges that they present from how they use him. We right. know what he can do physically. 
but how they use well, them. Well, let's just start with the sense. fact that, to me, there's no better receiver in the NFL running outside in, meaning running in-breaking routes from the outside because his size and explosion, he can run away from corners. If, if he gets inside of you, whether because you're playing zone with outside leverage or if, he, if you're playing man and he beats you inside, his ability to run away from corners I think is unparalleled in the NFL. Now, they use him in a way that allows him to do that because, yes, they'll line him up split outside the numbers, but they, o- they also line him up with what we call tight or minus splits where he's a little bit closer to the formation, which gives him a two-way go. He can go outside. He can go inside. And he's a really tough cover. So what do you do, do you, when you look at a Julio because of how he is physically and because of how they use him? Are you able to use some of the same tactics that teams have been able? We've seen the Eagles use over the last uh, you know few receivers that they faced. They had you know, a few dedicated doubles on Beckham this week, right? So do you see more of the do- dedicated doubles? Or do you get a little bit more creative? What are some of the things you've seen teams do to try and neutralize what Julio Jones can? Well, do? Well, I've seen teams in the red zone get you know blatant about double teaming him. You, you know? so rarely people say like, oh, why don't they just put two defenders on him? You so rarely in the NFL see what I call vice a guy right, in the line of right, scrimmage right, where it's literally right. two guys right. lined up over right. him. You see that with Julio Jones sometimes I know. close to the red zone. I mean there there have been some red zone plays where literally <laughs> there's two guys just lined up right over Julio Jones. Yeah. In fact, um I think it was against Tampa, uh, and I'm sure you got a chance to see that game. Yep. The two yard touchdown pass to uh to Hooper which was, I think, their final touchdown or close to their final touchdown later right. in the game. They, it came where it was a clear just double in, in the red zone on, on Julio Jones. Right. I mean, they just they made no bones about it. Exactly. So it's, it's interesting as I was going through the numbers of this Falcons offense and I see, okay, well, let, let's look at what Julio's numbers are in the red zone and third down. He is not their most targeted receiver on third down. Which doesn't surprise me, by the way. And he's not their most targeted receiver in the red zone, which one of the reasons we talked about. Right. That player is Mohamed Sanu. Sanu's got 10 targets and three touchdowns down in the red zone. He's got 10 catches <coughs> off 16 targets on third down. Uh, a free agent signee from, from Cincinnati, local kid from Jersey. What have you seen from Mohamed Sanu in this offense? Because he works inside a lot, and he's very good in the slot. That's really where he's best. He was really good in the slot in Cincinnati, and even though they signed him to be the, the outside receiver opposite Julio Jones, when they do go to three wide, which is pretty much what they do on third down, every team pretty much does that. He works a lot out of the slot, and he's very, very good with his big body and surprising and deceptive short area quickness. You know, he can run a lot of those angle routes. They, they motion him so he gets a little bit of a movement start, and then you, he gets the free release, and he can work inside really effectively. Greg, when we, we played the, the Falcons in week one of the 2015 season uh, down in Atlanta, and so I did a lot of study of Atlanta That's when, during uh, the offseason. That's when they actually – it's funny you say that. That's when – who made that interception in the red zone? Kiko Alonso. Kiko Alonso. That was the same play basically they ran with Sanu for the uh, winning touchdown. Really? If, I, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't even think about um, that. Against Green Bay where huh. they got him matched up on the linebacker. Interesting. I didn't even think yeah. about that. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah. But, uh, so we played them. Uh, we that, played that's them a very one. common play in the NFL. Sure. Where you motion in your wide receiver – usually on the trip side, and you get him matched up on the linebacker. Right. So now the, the, I spent a lot of time that offseason and that summer watching the Atlanta Falcons, and I remember looking at this offensive line and thinking, this group's one of the worst groups I've ever seen in Not the NFL. Now. And so quickly they trade for Andy Levitre in the, uh, right at the end of training Who camp last year. Who was playing terribly in his previous. He was uh, awful yeah, in yeah. Tennessee. So they trade for Levitre in a, in a, in a desperation move for both sides. 
They sign Alex Mack. They still have Chris Chester, the veteran, who's been around for a long time. And they have the Ryan Schrader kid. Who was not very good last year, and this year has been really solid. So what's so what is the, the staple of this offensive line in your mind? <coughs> in, in terms of – And what makes them so good? Well, first of all, Alex Mack has solidified everything. He's a, a legitimate – quality NFL center. It's, it's hard for me to rate centers, but I mean, right. he's, he's closer to the top. Let's yeah. put it that way. And what he does exceptionally well, because their run game is, is the foundation, you'd have to say, is outside zone, even though they do other things. He is really good at what we call reach blocks, which you have to be able to do in outside zone, where he's able to sort of cut across the face of, of a defensive tackle and seal him. He's really good at that. I'd say Jake Matthews has become a really solid left tackle. One of those guys now you don't notice. And when you don't notice left tackles, that's a good Simply thing. Simply good. Yes. Yeah, no question about it. And then uh, we haven't talked about Devontae Freeman yet and what he can do. A former mid-round pick out of Florida State a few weeks back uh, has really the last couple of years turned into one of the more talented running backs in the NFL. He's as laterally explosive as any back in the league. I mean, he can stop and start on a dime. Great lateral agility. Um, very good receiver as well. And we're doing this on Monday night. We won't know about Tevin Coleman, but if he does play, that adds another dimension, not only running the ball, but as a receiver. He's a really good receiver, and not only out of the backfield, but they detach him from the formation as well, particularly when they anticipate man coverage and can get him on a linebacker. Uh, I loved Coleman in Indiana, yep. uh, and, I, and I thought you know that's going to be a really good fit for him and his scheme, and then Devontae Freeman breaks out, and I kind of think, oh, he's going to kind of fade into the background and we'll never hear from him again. Before he got hurt, he was a huge part of yeah. what they did. And I think he's in a great spot because the one thing about um, Coleman to me, and I don't know how you feel about it, and I remember watching him in Indiana, and I liked his talent, but he's not very big in his lower body for a mm-hmm. running back. And I'm not sure he could truly be a 20-carry uh, a week guy, but now you have Freeman and Coleman, and that, <laughs> that works really well. No, no question about it. So uh, the Eagles defense certainly has a share of things that they've got to make sure that they prepare for on Sunday. And now when you flip the script and you look over at the Eagles offense yeah. going up against this Atlanta D, what we saw this past week from the Eagles offense, the vertical stretches and being able to tack downfield, certainly will be available to them uh, against this Atlanta defense. No team in the NFL has allowed more big plays downfield yes. than this Atlanta secondary. Uh, the numbers, you know, they're, they're, they're in the bottom third in the league in pretty much every defensive category. But schematically, what have you seen from, the, from, this, uh, from this Atlanta defense? What, what are you seeing when you watch them on tape? Yeah, I mean, they're a young defense. I think they have six or seven of their top 11 are first- or second-year players. So it's, it's a work in progress. They knew that. I mean, they drafted players, and they're starting them. They're starting three rookies. They're starting Keanu Neal at safety. Who we they're, both loved. Right. They're starting Devondre Campbell from Minnesota at one linebacker. Yep. Deion Jones, and, and, and you could sort of see what they're trying to do because Dan Quinn came from Seattle, so Keanu Neal is sort of the Cam Chancellor. Um, Deion Jones is the Bobby Wagner, and De- Devondre Campbell theoretically is the K.J. Wright. So they're trying to fit in the pieces with the foundational cover three. But you hit it right on the head. There's Any zone has holes and voids. Every defense, yep, no question. A- every zone. And in cover three, everybody in the NFL knows where they are. You know how to attack them. There's ways to attack voids. There's ways to send two through a zone and, and create opportunities. So the Eagles will know this. The question is, can they execute and they, can they protect? And Vic Beasley has, has come on a little bit. Uh, I still don't think they have a, a really strong week-to-week pass rush, but certainly uh, it's better than it was, let's say, a year ago. Yeah, it's interesting. I, when I saw that they moved Beasley 
uh, permanently from defensive end to linebacker, and he ends up playing DN and, and yeah. some package pass rush, of course. But it, it was it wasn't surprising to me because but he's not no, a full time strong side backer. They exactly, still play Philip Wheeler, Philip Wheeler a lot. That's the thing yeah. is that he's really kind of a backup strong side yeah, linebacker. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, is he uh, is he taking on the the role from uh, from Seattle, the, the pass rusher who I'm Bruce doing? Irvin. Bruce Irvin is he taking on that Bruce? Well, Irvin Well, I role? think judging by what they're doing, I kind of think they'd like him to be that guy. Right. But obviously, they don't see him as being there yet, or he'd play more snaps in that role. Four sacks, I believe, against Denver. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they came in spurts, and he's right. one of the leaders in sacks in the NFL. Uh, what, from a skill set standpoint, what does Beasley present? Uh, you know, for, well, for they're starting to move him players. around a little bit, which yeah. I'm sure you noticed. Yep. But as an edge rusher, he's that's what he kind of is. He's an edge rusher. He has to win off the edge. He still needs to work on his array of moves. You don't see a lot of moves. You see him win with speed. And, again, that'll come with time. You would think it would come with time. That's the hope he was a top-ten pick. The last guy I want to ask you about, Greg, inside on the defensive line, Grady Jarrett. Yeah, uh, someone you and I pick. both like. Yeah, late-round pick out of Clemson. Uh, and has really developed into a pretty Starting. nice player. Yeah. yeah. What, what have you seen from Jarrett? Yeah, there are, there are games in which he looks really quick and dynamic. I mean, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's not Aaron Donald, but I think he has a chance to be a really good rotational-type defensive tackle. He plays very low to the ground because he's short, and he's got quickness, and the one thing I think he's getting better and better at is sort of what I call secondary quickness, where he can then make a play after he uses his initial quickness to win. Because I think that's so important in the NFL. It's not just beating a guy and then where's the ball. You've then got to find the ball. Greg, you and I will be watching the matchup right here at the NovaCare Complex on Sunday. Very excited to do so. The Eagles take on the Atlanta Falcons. Thanks for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks, Fran. Great stuff from Greg. Again, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go on iTunes or Stitcher and you give us a rating, leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to T. Borer, who left a great review on our iTunes page and commented saying how much he liked the show and the information and the entertainment he gets from each and every week. And I know I can speak for Greg when I say, T. Borer, that's why we are here. So thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier I wanted to profile a player that's been extremely productive in spurts for this Atlanta defense. Time to reveal who that is in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so the scouting report this week is going to be on Vic Beasley, okay? We talked about it a little bit just now with Greg. Super physically talented kid, 6'3", 246 pounds, started 25 games for Clemson, and he was a guy that tested extremely well. He actually reminded me in some ways of Anthony Barr, who came out of UCLA the year before. I really liked Barr. I was a little bit hot and cold on Beasley coming out of Clemson. Let me tell you why. First, let's start with the positives. Now, Beasley in Clemson's defense, he lined up in a two- or three-point stance, but always from the right side in their multiple front. Explosive initial movement, really twitched up kids, sudden good short area burst. Greg talked about it. He was an outside edge rusher, great first step, great straight line speed. He was so effective on stunts, light on his feet, very balanced, showed the ability to turn the corner, accelerate, bend the edge. Not many guys had that flexibility that he had, the quality of flexibility that he had at the college level. You know, as a pass rusher, 
He won with speed. That was his go-to. But he also showed the ability to be very effective with a hand swipe. He had an inside swim move. He kind of developed that his last year at the Tigers. And he showed flashes of being able to go speed to power. The thing I liked as well was that he attacked blocks with good run game or with good hand placement in the run game. You know, he tried to set the edge. He, always, he had a pretty solid motor, made plays in pursuit. My big question was, you know, there were times when he was laid off the ball. He didn't have a ton of pop in his hands when he tried to bull rush people. Once he was blocked, he didn't show the ability to counter. That's always kind of a red flag for me when I watch pass rushers. I want to see a guy string multiple moves together, use his hands well, even if you if you're only going to have a, a move or two. At least show the ability to, once you get blocked off that first primary move, you've got to be able to counter. You've got to be able to, uh, to keep tackles guessing and not let them know exactly how you're going to attack them. I also thought in the run game that he struggled to consistently anchor at the point of attack against offensive linemen. I saw him get washed out one-on-one by, against college tight ends. Uh, so the run game was often a big question for me. You know, was he tough enough to hold up on the ground at the NFL level? So like I said earlier with Greg, I was not surprised at all to see them move him to linebacker away from defensive end in that 4-3 scheme. He still is going to come down. He's going to play with his hand on the ground uh, as a pass rusher in their nickel and dime sub packages. But it's interesting that they kind of moved him off the ball a little bit in their in their base as a backup to Phillip Wheeler. So he's a backup right now, not playing full time. I'll be interested to see how, how this works here with, uh, with Vic Beasley, who's got, I think, seven and a half sacks so far through, through uh, this point in the season. But four of them came in that one game against uh, the Denver Broncos back in week three. So uh, Vic Beasley, certainly a player that the Eagles offensive line will have to be aware of, uh, but kind of a one-trick pony at this point as a pass rusher. So uh, that'll do it, I think, here. Great stuff again from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And if you get the time, again, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there, too, because I love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. If there's ever anything specific you want me to hit on in depth, I will absolutely take requests from all of you out there. So wherever you're listening, just go shoot us a comment wherever you listen to the show, and I will be able to get to that here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.